Good morning. How you guys doing? Fantastic. My name is Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and we're smack dab in the middle of a series on tattoos called Ink. Now, before we dive in, got a couple of things I want to tell you about. First thing is this. You guys missed it. See, it's what happens when you come to 11 o'clock. You guys, this morning at 9 o'clock, it was so cool. We actually had uh, a, a couple, a church planner that we have been supporting as our church. He lives up in Connecticut. And uh, as you guys know, you guys may not know this, but a portion of everything that you give, we give away to missions. And we supported a church last year in New York City. We supported a church, a church planner last year in Connecticut. And they were actually, I uh, happened to be here in town, and he actually spoke a little bit at the first service, um, and you totally missed it. So great job. Um, and then uh, secondly, I want to tell you, because what's happening next Sunday? Today is Palm Sunday, so I'm going to welcome you. Happy Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is what? Easter Sunday. Now, here's the thing. In order for us to be able to make this an amazing time this Easter, I need you to do three things. And here's the first one. I need you to invite. Here's the thing. All of us, we have people that we know that we've been meaning to invite to church and we just haven't. And right now, as soon as I said it, you have that picture in your brain of that person. Well, we're going to try to make it easy for you. And on the table as you leave outside, we have these invite cards that we printed. And some of them are just one church cards. Some of them say inked. But it's a great way that you could be able to hand to somebody and say, hey, listen, what are you doing next Sunday? Because here's the reality of it. Because it's Easter Sunday, more people are willing to go to church on Easter Sunday than any other Sunday out of the year. So if you ask them, 90% of the chances, they're going to go. So the only thing you need to do is ask. So I'm going to ask you guys to invite. Now, I'm also, the second thing I need you guys to do is I need you to serve. Because here is also the realistic reality of it, is without your help, one church will be dramatically under-resourced on Easter. We always see it. We, our attendance usually over doubles every Easter. So we're going to have double the kids. We're going to have double the uh, people here, brand new first-time guests. And a lot of times we just, we just need help. So if you can help with greeting, if you can help with babies, if you can help in one-way street in our K-5th through grade environment, uh, if, and if, again, if you don't know anything, you just say, I can open a door. Come and do that because we're going to ask you next Sunday to not only serve one but go to one. And by the way, how many of y'all, you volunteer here every week here at One Church? Let me see your hands. Can we give it up for these people? You guys are awesome. Thank you very, very much. I would encourage you guys who serve every week, make sure you make it a priority to serve one and go to one. And the reason why is we don't want you guys to burn out. We know that, again, without your help, we couldn't do what we do. And you impact people's lives for the better. You do. It's not me. It's you guys. So I just want to say thank you so much. But next Sunday, I'm going to ask you to serve one and go to one. And then the third thing I want to ask you is simply this. I'm going to ask you to attend. I want you to show up. I need you to attend strategically. Now let me explain what I mean by that. The average church person is going to show up at church at 11 o'clock which means our 11 o'clock service next Sunday is going to be crazy jam-packed. It just is. So I would encourage you guys, if you call one church your home, would you consider maybe coming at 9 o'clock next Sunday? How many of y'all, you, you would consider that? You're like, okay, I'm very good. Thank you so much. See, come on, fist bump. The last thing before I go, good friends of mine, uh, Paul and Janie Blaylock are here in the back. I don't know which side you guys are on. Uh, over here? 
All right, and uh, as we've been praying for Paul and Janie for quite some time. He just found out a, a while back he has liver cancer, and he's been fighting this aggressively, but we're so honored to have you guys here. Can we give it up for them? Thank you so. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you, Janie. Our prayers are with you. So, well, we're in week three of our Ink series. And again, it's kind of weird that I'm talking about this at church because most times people think ink and tattoos and church really doesn't mix. In fact, this is a true story. Last Sunday after the 11 o'clock service, I had some guy come up to me at one church who said a time when he visited a church and there was this guy who had like sleeve tattoos and the deacon went up to him and said, listen, if you're going to show up here next week, you need to like put sleeves down. We don't want you to offend anybody or offend God. And the person responded to the deacon, I don't think I'm going to offend God here at this church. He hadn't been here in quite some time. Bam, that's going to leave a mark, I'm just saying. I, I can't remember who told me that story, but there you go. That's a good one, all right? But here's the thing that we've been learning about, is that God isn't anti-tattoo, right? He isn't anti-tattoo. In fact, the one verse in the Bible, that Leviticus passage, really has nothing to do with tattoos. It talks about the God that you serve. And we've been looking at one primary verse that actually talks about that not only is God anti-tattoo, he's not. He is actually pro-tattoo because he has... Tattoos. Now, uh, we're going to get to that one verse that we've been looking at. Let me show you another one. Now, we've not looked at this one. This is Jesus coming back at the end of time, all right? So Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to be all dressed in white, picking a fight. Now, let me just give you a heads up. Guys, if you're ever in a situation where a guy comes up and is going to pick a fight with you and he's dressed in white, don't do it, right? Because if he's dressed in white, what does that mean? He's not planning on getting dirty, right? He's not planning on getting your blood on his suit, right? But listen, listen to what it says in Revelation 19, 11 and verse 16, talking about Jesus. Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. And on his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. I like that. All right? So Jesus is going to, that's, that's not the normal picture of Jesus we think of, right? Usually the picture of Jesus, you know, he's like holding the lamb with a halo, and like, you, know, you know what I'm saying? But I don't think that was probably Jesus looked like that at all. Not at all. So anyway, here's the one that we, we've been looking at. This is in Isaiah 49, 16, and this is what it says. This is God saying, behold, I have tattooed a picture of you on the palm of each of my hands. And here's where we've been landing in this series. The reality is many of us, even though we don't have tattoos on us, and some of you might, some of you don't, even if you don't have a tattoo on us, all of us have been inked by what other people have said about us. We've all allowed our identity to be changed because of something that was done to us or against us. All of us, we feel like that ink is permanent on us, and we look at ourselves as too big, too fat, too tall, too whatever, or not enough. And one of the things that we're wanting to see in this series is that with God, we are just right. That with Jesus Christ in our lives, you're not to this or not enough this. That your identity is found in him. And in week one, we talked about how all of us, we want to be chosen. And we, none of us want to be the last person chosen for the kickball team. But, but the problem is, even though we all want to be chosen, we can't choose to be chosen. You know what I mean? It, kind of seems weird, but I can't make somebody choose me. I can't. Here's the amazing thing about it, and we looked at in week one, that God chose us. 
that God has chosen us. In fact, we use the word adopted. We're going to be looking at that a little bit later today. Last week, we looked at this, that God has accepted us. He has accepted us. And the reason why he's accepted us is because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we've done. Here's where we're going to be landing today. We're going to be looking at that all ink is permanent. All ink is permanent. In fact, we looked at this this first week, that whole sign, think before you ink, because whatever you get tattooed on you, it is permanent. In fact, how many of y'all, you have tattoos? Let me see your hands. Okay, cool. How many of y'all have ever had a tattoo removed? We had, okay, we had one person in in, uh, first service, and most people don't get tattoos removed because they're very expensive and they're very painful. Most people, they have a tattoo that they kind of cover up or camouflage. How many of y'all done that? All right, well, quite a few more people, all right, quite a few more people. So we're going to be looking at the whole idea that tattoos are permanent. In fact, what's so interesting about this, one person, tattoo artist, said this way, you need to sit on an idea for a year before you permanently commit to that because all the ink is permanent. Let me show you some pictures of some bad tattoos, some good stuff. If you have a tattoo artist who can't spell, you might be a redneck, all right? I'm just saying, look, yeah, that's not good. Keep it on this one. Michael Jackson, all right? At the bottom, he touched so many. (laughs) Is it too soon? I don't know. All right, keep on going. (laughs) Miley Cyrus, yeah. That is a McDonald's receipt. Okay, you may like McDonald's, not that much, right? Look at that. No regret. <laughs> More receipts. I don't understand that. That is Celine Dion, Oprah Winfrey. That's a devil baby. <laughs> oh, I know. That is Voldemort's love child. So, wow. Yes. <laughs> Woo. Oh. Isn't that something? Google, and there you go. Now, listen. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie's coming out, but even if you're a fan, I ain't that much of a fan, right? Here's the thing. All tattoos are permanent, and you better think before you ink, because once it's on there, it is on there. In fact, when you see a person's tattoo, you're actually seeing the ink through the epidermis. You see, when they're doing tattooing, is that needle is going at about 3,000 times a minute. It's actually going into the dermis, which is the underlayer, because our skin is always shedding, And because that is, if we just did it on the epidermis, it would go away. In fact, somebody tattooed me today with one of our One Church tattoos. It will eventually go away. But when that needle injects the ink down into the dermis, even though the epidermis is going to keep on going and keep on flaking away and stuff like that, you know, getting ashy and all that, whatever it is, a little lotion, just saying, all right, your your tattoo is going to stay the same. It may discolor a little bit, but it's permanent. It's permanent. Here's the thing that we're landing on today, and we're going into Ephesians 1 again. Here's our big idea. Just as a tattoo is permanent, joining God's family is what? Permanent. Just as a tattoo is permanent, joining God's family is permanent. You see, just as God inks that picture of you on his palms of his hands, and it's permanent, He wants you to be inked, that you are forever his. In fact, once we're inked by Jesus, we are permanently linked to Jesus. That's the fact. Now, 
Ephesians chapter 1, we looked at it two weeks ago. We're going to look at it again today. Um, there, uh, there was this guy by the name of Paul. He wrote a letter to this church called Ephesus. And in this, in this town called Ephesus, he actually started a church there. And um, he's writing the Ephesus, the Ephesian believers. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, this is what we looked at two weeks ago. All right? Even before he made the world, God what? Loved us. And what? Chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to what? Adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself. How? Through Jesus Christ. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Now let's look at those words we just paused at. God loved, God chose, God adopted, and we belong to him. Listen to those relational words. That is so awesome. If you want to know how God views you, he views you because of Jesus Christ. If you begin that, and when you begin that relationship with Jesus Christ, you are loved. Not only you are loved, you are chosen, and not only you are chosen, he adopts you. He adopts you, and now you belong to him. I like that. God chooses us to be his child. It's the whole idea today where we're talking about this permanence. It's the whole idea of the difference between adopting and fostering. Some of you in here have adopted children. Some of you in here are foster, your foster parents. And think about it this way. Foster homes aren't permanent, are they? Usually, foster parents don't have the legal responsibility of adoptive parents. And foster children usually have no part in the inheritance of the family. In fact, many times, it's hard for children in a foster home situation to develop any type of security. Because at any time, they may be removed from those foster parents. Let me tell you, God does not bring us into his house as foster children. He doesn't. He doesn't bring us into his house and we stay a while until he loses custody. Not at all. He adopts us. We belong to him forever. One of the many reasons people give by wanting to adopt is because they just got so much love between them and they want that love to spill out and they want children. And that's how God is. He did this for his own pleasure. All right, But listen, even though we talked about love, chosen, belong, adopted, look at another word we found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Here it is. And you also were, what's the word? Included. Isn't that a great word? How many of you, you've kind of lived your life just wanting to be included? So that's been me. I mean, it's just like, man, I just, I don't want to be in the out crowd. You want to be in the in crowd. You want to be included. You ever been around those group of friends that they never do include you? It's kind of a bummer, ain't it? They never do call, they never do talk. They kind of got their own group and they won't let anybody else in. That's not God. That's, that's not how God and Jesus works. He allows everybody. It, look at this. In fact, I'm going to keep on reading. And you were also included. How? Oh, the verse gone. Sorry. You were also included. How? In Christ. That's how you're included when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What a wonderful word included. But God, uh, through the apostle Paul, goes on. And he listen to this language he writes. This is so cool. This is in verse 13. It says, and also you were included, having believed you were what? Marked. In fact, that's what we're talking about in this series. We're permanently inked 
in him with a seal, and the seal he describes is the promised Holy Spirit. Now, let me, let's talk about that. Up here, I have a candle, like a candle in the wind. I'm sorry. <clears throat> You're like, please don't ever do that again. All right. Let me tell you, in 2,000 years ago, they didn't have a post office. They didn't have envelopes. If you wanted to send something to go from one town to another, you couldn't just put it in an envelope, lick it, and put it in there, and everything's good to go because they didn't have envelopes. So one of the things they would do in order to be able to secure, uh, secure that whole envelope or that document is that they would take a candle with some wax, and they would pour it over the document once you fold it, and then they would take a ring, a signet ring, and they would press it into the wax. And what that did was that sealed the document so that you couldn't open it. And if you opened it, you would break the seal. And as they would press, press that signet ring, the, the king or the, the person in authority, the governor, it said, this is mine. This is under my seal of approval. And many times, if you weren't the right person who opened it, you could literally be killed in that day and age, right? Because it, this whole seal promoted that it was the real deal. It was an important document. It was the official mark of identification, that's, that was important back then. Now, we don't do that anymore, right? We take an envelope, we lick it, we usually get a paper cut on our tongue, right? And then we close it up and it's done. But we still seal it. We seal it so nobody else can see it or get to it, that it will get to the right destination. Here's some other things that we seal. We seal windows and doors during the winter to keep the winter and the cold out. Other things. How many of y'all have wood porches, right? You take... You're supposed to seal them so that the water doesn't get in the wood and it rots the wood. You see, this whole idea is Christ's followers who have been adopted, we have also been sealed. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Put that verse up there again, if you would, Hannah. Having believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That we are marked, that we are sealed with God, the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying here is that once we believe, immediately the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and our hearts and he seals us. He guarantees us. Now, there's three things that sealing does back in that time, in that culture. All right, The first thing is that the seal communicates that it's secure, that there's security there. Think about it this way. How many of y'all have ever bought like something from the grocery store and you got it home and you realized that the pickles, they were, had been unsealed. Anybody? Did you eat them? Probably not, right? Some of you, you're like, yes. Let me know how that goes for you. Um, we would never think of grabbing, uh, buying Tylenol and we get it home and the, the safety seal is off. Why? It's not secure. Somebody could have stuffed something in there or put something in there. Guys, let's talk about us for a sec. Has your wife ever gave you something to open? Some type of thing to open that it was sealed, and she gave it to you and you couldn't open it? Anyone? No guys ever, they didn't raise their hand 9 o'clock. All of y'all are liars, all right? Here's the thing. My wife, she's, you know, she'll try to open it. I can't open it. She'll give it to me. I'm like, I got this, baby, all right? So, you know, I'm going. I'm like, what's wrong with me, Right? 
So and then I give it to her. I'm like, oh, no, I done loosened it up for you, right? I, really? But, you know, there's something assuring hearing that top pop. You realize that it has not been tampered with. That the pickles inside are okay. That the Tylenol bottle that's sealed is okay. There is security there. That everything is okay. The second thing that a seal really kind of gives us is that it's authentic. It's authentic. Again, if you've bought milk, I've done this where you've grabbed milk and then you got home and the seal is broken. I'm not going to drink it. Because I am not for sure that 100% of everything that's in there is 100% milk. It could be something else in there. Somebody could have put something else in there. When the Holy Spirit is placed upon our lives once we believe, God is saying, you are mine, you are 100% authentic. The third thing that a seal really denotes to us is this. It's the owner. It's the owner. You see, in that culture, when you put a seal on something in ancient times, you were saying, this is mine, I own it, I have rights to it. It's like this. Uh, um, Luther, uh, he had reminded me of this in between services. He is a notary public. And what a notary public does, they have a seal, and what they do is they stamp it, and that, what he's saying is this. He was telling me this first service. He says, he's saying, you know what, that seal, that notary public seal says that that person, the owner, is the one who signed it. And let me tell you what happens with us is God is signing, he is permanently inking us, and he's doing it with the seal of the Holy Spirit. I like that. We're going to keep on going to this next verse. This is 13 and 14. It says this in Ephesians 1. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. We talked about that. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a, what is it? Deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Let's talk about the last part. Just keep that up if you would, Hannah. Inheritance. When you inherit something... Many times, not always, but when you inherit something, it's because somebody that you knew, usually you were related to, has passed away, and you received their inheritance. Well, here's the thing. When we have that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are now related to God. And the great thing about it is there is going to be inheritance. Now, here's the thing. You get an inheritance once somebody dies, all right? Here's the bummer, all right? We have to die in order to be able to get the inheritance, all right? Now, when, if you're a Christ follower when you die, what's your inheritance? Heaven, exactly right. Now, here's the thing. Some of you are going, okay, I don't believe that heaven is for real. Well, number one, there's a movie coming out. It's called Heaven is for Real. Thank you very much, all right? But second, if you really want to know and have some assurance, he's saying, you know what? Okay, I understand you can't see it and you can't see all that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a deposit to make sure that you know it's for real. And the deposit is the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk about that, a deposit or earnest money. How many of y'all have ever put a deposit or earnest money on something? All right, what does that mean? It means you put money down and you say, I'm going to buy it. Or if you're usually a lot of times with a house, you'll put down earnest money. And the earnest money you put down, you're saying, I earnestly am going to buy this. And if you don't buy it, what happens to your earnest money? Poof, right? It's gone. Well, here's what God is saying. God's saying, let me tell you, your inheritance is heaven. And it's even so much more than that. But I'm going to give you a guarantee. Y'all say guarantee. A guarantee that you're going to get what I promise, and that guarantee right now is the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit. 
And that is really, really cool, that guarantee. How many of y'all remember this guy on television? Everybody remember this dude? His name was George Zimmer. When I was going to Dallas Seminary at the time, um, uh, he had Men's Warehouse. He started it, and he would have these commercials. And on this commercial, he'd say, you know what? Some of you guys, you're looking for quality suits uh, for not a lot of money. She says, here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, you show up at Men's Warehouse, and here's what I promise you. You are going to enjoy and like the way you look. And you're going to get quality suits, and it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. And he says, not only are you going to get it, he says, at the, always at the end, he says, I guarantee it. And when he says, I guarantee it, he would always end the commercial by signing his name on the screen. He says, I guarantee it, George Zimmer. Let me tell you what's so cool about that. He's saying that on my word, you're going to get the quality at Men's Warehouse. And God is telling you and I today, you know what? You want to know about your salvation? He says, I guarantee it. And if anything goes wrong, I'll cover it because that's my name. My name is, I am God, and he signs it, and he says, you're good to go. That should make somebody happy today, that you can't do anything, 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 anything to pull yourself out of God's arms, because when he, just like tattoos are permanent, being a part of God's family, adopted in his family, accepted in his family, included into his family, is permanent, and nothing can change that. The Bible calls it eternal life. Now think about it. If you had eternal life, he gave you eternal life, and then you could do something to take away the eternal life, guess what it wasn't? Eternal life. Thank you for coming to one church, right? But just hang out with me, right? Now some of you, you grew up in denominational backgrounds, and you're already bucking me. And you ain't bucking me. Let's, I want to close by looking at just a smorgasbord of verses. And I just want to show you how this theme is woven throughout the entire Bible. So for the next hour and a half, I'm going to read. I'm just joking. Right. Some of you are going, no, stop. No, just listen. I'm, really, I'm almost done. I want you to listen to this. This is what it says in John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth. And let me tell you, when Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth, it's the truth, right? Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me, what? Have eternal life. Keep on going. They will, what's that next word? Never. Now let me tell you, the Greek word for never, you want to know what it means? Never. They will never be condemned for their sins. But they have already passed from death to life. That's good news if you're a Christ follower. You've already passed from death to life, and you will, what's the word? Never be condemned for your sins. You see, when you get up to heaven, you're not going to be judged anything by your sin because your sin was judged once and for all on the cross where Jesus died. So you don't have to think, you know, you're going to get up there and God has a list of all the sins that you've done. No. He, doesn't ha- he has a list, and over that list, it has Jesus' blood, and you are clean, you are washed. That is some good news. Let me show you. By the way, let me say, some people, be- you think it's eternal life, but some of you believe in term life. All right? Anybody, know, anybody got term life insurance? Let me explain that. All right? See, some of you, 
again, you think Jesus gave you term life, and it's not. It's eternal life. What term life is, is that you have to pay into it ever so often, and if you stop paying, you lose it. That's not how, that's not how eternal life is. It, it, it was paid by Jesus once and for all. That, that's what it is. In fact, on the cross, I mean, we're going to celebrate Easter this weekend. That means this Friday. As you're doing your daily routines this Friday, know this, at 9 o'clock, they had put him up on the cross. At noon, that is when everything goes dark, and he says, God, why have you forsaken me? And then at 3 o'clock that afternoon, he says this word, tetelestai. And what tetelestai is, it's an accounting term, and it literally means to be paid in full. He paid for it all. He did so that we wouldn't have to. So don't believe in term life. It's eternal life. Let's keep on going, all right? John 10, 27 through 29 says this. The sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me, and I give them term life. Is that what it says? I give them eternal life, and they will, what's that, what's that Greek word? Never. They will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me or my father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. Anybody want to agree with that one? God is more powerful than anyone else. No one, everybody said no one. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. Again, no one means no one. That means when you begin a relationship with your heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, nothing, no one can take you away from his grip, not even you. Why? Because just as a tattoo is permanent, Becoming a part of God's family is permanent. Let's keep on reading. This is Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Great, great verse. Great, great verse. You were, what's that word? Dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. What we realistically, who we are without Jesus Christ. But look at what it says. He keeps on going. Then, I like that word. It says, this is what you were, but now, then, then God made you what? Alive with Christ, for he forgave, what's those next three words? Now, this right here is huge. Because let me tell you, people who believe that you can, okay, you can get eternal life, but you can lose it, they don't believe this verse. Let me tell you what they believe. They believe, just leave this up if you would, Hannah. They believe that God forgave all of their sins at the time when they asked Jesus Christ to be their Savior. And then, but they can do something afterwards and they can lose it. It's not permanent. But let's just do some looking here. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died, right? And when he was on the cross, how many of your sins were forgiven? All our sins sins. Now, here's the question. If Jesus died 2,000 years ago, how many of your sins were future sins? All of them. So when he, when he dies for all of our sins, he dies for all the junk you've done. He's dying for all the mess that you're thinking about right now. Some of y'all are really jacked up. You're just thinking stuff right now. And then some of you, let me tell you, and he's, gonna, he's already died for all the ones that you're going to do once you leave here today. He died for how many of your sins? All. Keep on going. All right? He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away. How? 
by nailing it to the cross. Wow, that's good news. That's great news. And here is my favorite. This is where I'm going to end. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be all over this verse, but I like the way it starts out. Romans 8, 1. If you are in Christ, listen and let this just wash over you. Listen to this, what it says. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's good. Some of y'all should be hooping and hollering, y'all going, when is the Cracker Barrel going to be open? (laughs) Do y'all hear what I'm saying? If you have a relationship with your Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. Let me tell you, if people are condemning you, they're not of God. Hear what I'm saying? If, If you're feeling shame, let me tell you, shame is never from God. There's guilt. When we do bad things, God will allow us to feel guilty so that we will turn back to him. But let me tell you, God never, ever, 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 never, ever, never, ever judges us of our sin. Why? Because he's already judged Jesus. Jesus, it says in another verse, literally became our sin. And that's when God judged him on the cross. That's the reason why at noon on Friday, he turned his back and everything went dark. And Jesus cries out, God, why are you forsaking me? Because God cannot look on sin. All right, I'm going to keep on going. This is in, I'm picking up at verse 31. Um, If God is for us, who can ever be against us? What's the answer? No one, right? Nobody. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Great question. Who dares to accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Answer? No one. No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. I like that. Who will then condemn us? What's the answer? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Answer, nothing, no. And I am convinced, and Paul, he's starting to preach here. He says, I am convinced that nothing, everybody say nothing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And then he starts doing a list. And this is a great list because you, some of you, you've got lists of all the mess that you've done. Listen to some of the lists he has. And at the end, Paul's just going to lay it out there, and he's going to say whatever, everything, right? But look at what he says. He says this. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, and he just uses the word nothing. Nothing in all creation. How many of y'all are in creation? Everybody, right? What I'm saying, some of you didn't raise your hand, Katie. All right, thank you. Thank you very much, right? We've all been created. And if you are in Christ Jesus, you can't even separate yourself because you are part of all creation. Keep on going. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed how in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Man, let me tell you, just as tattoos are permanent, when you become a God, part of God's family, you are permanently a part of God's family. Here's the thing. Some of you, you struggle with that. 
because of your upbringing, because of all the mess that you've done, you know everything that you've done. Here's the thing. Your heavenly father knows everything that you've done as well. And here's the thing about it. Just ponder on this one. If you have kids, think about this. Is there anything that they could ever do that you would want to disown them for? I mean, is there, could you ever say, you know what, you're no longer my child and I'm not your dad or I'm not your mom? The answer, probably almost all of us, is you go, no. It doesn't matter what they've done. Here's the fact. They would still be your child. Follow me on this one. Even if your child ran away from you and said, you know what, I don't like you, I don't like your last name. I am changing my last name and my first name, and they change it to Tallulah or something. I don't know. And they, you know, they no longer have your last name, and they're saying, you're not my dad. Well, there's, there's something called a DNA test. And it doesn't matter what the, the person has done, what that child has done, the fact remains that you are still his child and her child. And some of you, you're here at one church today, and you're just surprised you're even at church. And you're thinking, I have run so far, so fast, so long from God. And there was a time in your life that you had that relationship and you think you've lost it. And you haven't. You, you don't feel all the ooey-gooey because the relationship is still intact, but you're struggling to make eye contact. Again, I've got to get off stage, but let, let me think of this way. I've been married for 20 years. I've been married for 20 years, and um, some of those years have been good. Some of those years, you know, because I'm just like you, right? Here's the thing. I've done some stupid stuff in my marriage. The relationship, husband and wife, has always been there, even when I do stupid stuff. Now, sometimes the relationship's good, all right, but I'm sleeping on the couch, right? Because something I want to, and it's a churchy word, but the fellowship isn't there. You don't feel like you want to be with one another. You're still married, but you're like, get out of my sight, right? Let me tell you, anytime we sin, we break that fellowship. We break the ooey-gooey part of our relationship with God. We are still his child. We are still, we, we are, he's still our father. But for some of you, you just need to spend some time and you just need to say, God, this is what I've done. He knows what you've done. You, you say it. And there's something about saying it and saying, God, I'm turning away from that. This is what 1 John 1, 9 says, that if we confess our sins, we blurt them out, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And let me tell you, even though that relationship has always been there, the closeness, you will start to feel it. You will. You will start to feel it. All right, before I get off stage, I want to answer some questions. All right? Great, uh, and you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for, for texting in. This is what um, one person says. Uh, 70% of teenagers that leave the church when they leave the house return as adults. They were inked as children. Very, very good. Thank you so very much. Um, after you become a believer, follower of God, and you don't see some sins as sins, or don't continue to ask for forgiveness for sins, are you automatically forgiven even though you don't ask for forgiveness of those sins? Great question. I think I just answered that, but let me just one more time say that. You see, again, once you begin that relationship with Jesus Christ, Colossians 2 says he forgave you of how many of your sins? All. So why do we need to confess them? Well, it's like this. Um, 
two nights ago, I don't know if I should be sharing this, two nights ago, <clears throat> my wife slept on the couch because I was a crazy sleeper. Right? I was snoring, I kept her up, I mean, I was just all over the bed, all of this stuff, right? and she slept on the couch, and we wake up the next morning, I'm like, oh, I felt good, all right? and, and Kim looks at me and says, don't talk to me, all right? now, there wasn't the ooey-gooeyness there, was there? Was I still married? You betcha, and what did I need to do, even though I didn't really mean to, I said, baby, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And you know what? By doing that, it allowed us to feel that closeness again. It took a few hours, but you know what? You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's breaking down a little bit, this illustration. But that's, what, that's how it is with our Heavenly Father. Our relationship is always intact, but we don't feel closeness anymore. Again, let's just be real. How many of y'all, you've done the Christian life for a while, but there's been some times you've not felt close to God? That should be all of us. There's been times where I'm like, God, Really? Really? I'm a pastor. I should always feel close to you, but I don't because I got junk in my life that I need to confess. That's a great question, whoever texted that in. Thank you so very much. Really good question. All right, keep on going. Um, What happens if after someone is saved, they continue to engaging in unrepentant sin? If they aren't fully pursuing God, how does God react? Again, I think we've answered that question, Um, but uh, again, I'm a Christian, and there's still some sin that I still struggle with. If you think that once you become and have that relationship with Jesus Christ, that you're just going to magically not struggle with any sin, <laughs> it's not going to happen. You're going to struggle for the rest of your life. You will. You will. I get this really good friend. He's an alcoholic. He's a Christ follower, but he's always going to be an alcoholic. He's always going to struggle with wanting to take that next step. And he's been dry now for years. But he knows this is his weakness. Really good question. Thank you so very much. All right? Um, so, actually, that's the last of our questions. So, thank you very, very much. Man, I, guys, here's the reason why I love this church. I love this church because of you. Because, number one, what God has done in you, but, number two, that you guys are real. I love that you just ask questions and you throw it all out there. And I know for some of you, this isn't like just a bow on top of it. You're still struggling with this, and I understand that. All I'm asking you to do is to take your denominational preferences and this and that of what you've been taught and dig into God's word, all of it. Not just one passage, all of it. And I promise you, if you do, you will realize that just as tattoos are permanent, when you begin that relationship with God, we are accepted forever, and it is a permanent link. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you, and I thank you so much, Lord, for the men and women in this room. I pray that this week, Lord, as we go out and for those of us who have a relationship with you, God, I pray that we would be reminded that nothing, nothing, nothing can ever separate us from your love, which is found in Jesus Christ. And for those people, God, that are in here that are still just have some questions and are struggling and may not even have a relationship with you, God, because they don't feel like they can be that good. They don't, be, they don't feel like they can be that good for that long. God, I pray that you would just be able to show them today but it has nothing to do with us keeping it. It's not about us keeping our word to you. It's about you, God, keeping your word to us that you are faithful and true. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.